You're listening to the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network. This is Drive Time with Travis Wingfield. Back to throw to a looking. Flips it downfield wide open. <laughs> Touchdown, Tyreek Hill. Unbelievable. Just flew by him for a second time. Doing to where he was going right away. How the hit is that, though, man? What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and on today's show, we welcome in a member of the Carolina Panthers beat, Mike Kay from the Charlotte Observer, joins us to break down this matchup on Sunday. Plus, we'll hear from the assistant coaches. We'll also pick the week six games. Man, it goes by faster every single year. From the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex, this is the Drive Time Podcast. Really quickly, want to apologize for the audio on yesterday's show. I'm quite sick about it. I did a thousand tests on the Sure mic with the Zoom recorder and found out only after the fact because I didn't test with earbuds in. I listened back to it on my desktop, on my laptop, on my phone. All sounded good, but apparently stereo mode comes in one ear and not the other, and you have to plug in multiple mics to accomplish that with the Zoom recorder. I don't know. I thought it sounded great, but... Obviously, it did not. So I apologize for that. Let's go ahead and get to my guest today, Mike Kay from the Charlotte Observer. Joining us now on the Drive Time Podcast is a member of the Charlotte Observer, a beat writer for the Carolina Panthers. He's Mike Kay. And according to his Twitter bio, he's fond of fullbacks and the Foo Fighters. And Mike, I start that way to tell you that I hope you one day get a chance to meet Alec Ingold because he's one of the best human beings on this entire planet and also... I have to ask you, what is the greatest song all time by the Foo? Well, I should tell you that I have talked to Alec a couple of times. Good. <laughs> uh, back when I covered the entire league before I got this job, I did a whole uh, takeout on on fullbacks, and he was one of the lead voices. So awesome. it's been cool to watch him do what he does in in Miami. Um, Everybody, the, the the classic answer for your second question is Everlong, but to me, The Pretender holds a very important spot in my life because the song came out my freshman year of college. I got to see them for the first time in person in college, right as they were touring with the Echo Silence, Patience and Grace tour. Uh, pretty special. So that song's always been very important to me. That was also my pick, but for the same reason you listed The Pretender, my hero just instantly transports me back to my high school days, like John Mock style from Varsity Blues. So, I mean, that band, man, I, I don't know how many uh, old heads we have as, as we, I think now are officially Mike on the, on the podcast oh, here, but the Foo Fires, man, that's, that's a classic band right there. Yeah. Amen. And you know, you're Washington state. I know you're, you're a big Washington state guy. Uh, I made sure to go out to the sub pop museum when I was out there, when the Panthers played the, the Seahawks last year because Sub Pop put out the first Nirvana album, which right. doesn't feature Dave Grohl, but just kind of a cool interconnecting thing. That's awesome, man. That's that's good to hear. Yeah, Seattle's a fun time in the Pacific Northwest, obviously, uh, holds 
holds tight to my to my heart near and dear there. So really good stuff. Let's go ahead and break right into this Dolphins and Panthers matchup coming up on Sunday here at Hard Rock Stadium. And Mike, you probably can assume this. I always start these interviews with the opposing beat writers at the quarterback position. And I want to start just with your general assessment of Bryce Young, uh, his growth five year or five games, I should say, in his NFL career. What have you seen so far from the rookie number one overall pick? Well, I think he has shown his elusiveness for the most part in the pocket. I think that's been the most impressive thing about him. When we talk about Bryce Young, we talk about his processing ability. I think he's doing that well, but it's hard to process and then be efficient when guys aren't really getting open. We really, if you watch tape, Adam Thielen's the only guy that's consistently getting open. He plays mostly out of the slot. They're working with rookie uh, Jonathan Mingo on the outside. He missed one game with a concussion. But he's been extremely inconsistent. DJ Chark's dealt with his own injury stuff and been pretty inconsistent. The running game is absolutely just a letdown. Miles Sanders has not gotten off to a good start. He's also now dealing with a shoulder injury. But what I think is impressive about Bryce Young is that while he is not taking shots downfield, he's performing better than I think he did on college tape in the short to intermediate game from an accuracy standpoint. Like to me, when he was a prospect, his ability to make off schedule throws downfield was his like superpower here. They've got him kind of refining the short to intermediate route. And he's not really taking the shots that you'd like him to see, but I think he has improved that area of his game. Yeah, that can be an area that's tough to kind of translate over right away because of just the speed of the game and how fast things happen. And obviously trying to get an offense, you know, down pat early on. Like, I think that a, a few rookie quarterbacks over the last couple of decades have kind of, I don't want to say spoiled our minds in terms of how these guys progress and learn and grow, but it's supposed to be a process. Like rookie quarterbacks are not supposed to perform at a high level when they do, it's, it's always very surprising. And I saw Mike that there's, you know, one of the stories around the Panthers this week is the simplification of the offense, or at least in the way they communicate the calls into the huddle. Can you give us an update on that? Yeah. So a couple of weeks ago, they started using um, basically a cheat sheet, if you want to call it for a wristband. So like, this is just an example. I'm, you know, let's say they have like a, a dagger concept and that's that's number 31 frank wright can say run play 31 or run play blue or whatever they call it as opposed to him delegating you know every single motion and route for each receiver and the blocking scheme right so you're simplifying the amount of information given to you so you can just kind of paint by numbers each play and i think that that's actually a relatively mature approach to limiting mistakes, limiting communication issues, limiting pre-snap penalties, which have been an absolute killer for this team. And I think that, you know, you want to avoid delay of game as much as you can. And the Panthers have really struggled with operational football. And I think limiting the amount of language is really good for them. Yeah, it's something the Dolphins kind of went through last year in McDaniel's first year here calling plays, the pre-snap operation. They were one of the most penalized pre-snap teams. This year, they've cleaned it up big time. And I see the Panthers are currently number one in the league in terms of pre-snap infractions. And like I said, like these are things that you have to just kind of, you know, grow with and learn with a rookie quarterback, especially when they're so talented like Bryce Young is. And 
you know, another thing that sometimes these teams that are kind of in rebuild modes have to accept is trying to, you know, find pieces along the way. And for Bryce, like he's been under a lot of pressure this year so far. I just wanted to get your assessment of the offensive line. What we expect to see in terms of the personnel on Sunday, because I know there's some injuries up front. What have you made so far this offensive line of the Carolina Panthers? I mean, it's been extremely disappointing compared to last year, but it's a completely different offense. They're playing a lot more zone blocking concepts. They are not, this is, what's interesting is, is there's a lot of power personnel. If you were just looking at them on cam, like on tape, on previous work, on their measurements, all that stuff. Bradley Bozeman had an incredible run the second half of last season because they ran the ball so effectively. Um, Austin Corbett, who's on pup and probably isn't returning until after the bye, was the best player on offense last year. He's been gone for five games. He'll probably miss this sixth one. Um, and then you've had a rookie guard, Chandler Zavala, moving from right guard to left guard, playing well at right guard in week one, but struggling mightily uh, over the last few weeks. He also suffered a neck injury. I don't expect him to play. Chances are it'll either be Cade Mays, last year's six-round pick, or Justin McCray, a, a journeyman uh, backup guard slash center who's on the practice squad. Um, Iki Iquani was kind of taking a step back from pass protection standpoint. Uh, he's the former first-round pick. I think he'll be fine long-term. It's just been a problem. Taylor Moten's probably their most consistent offensive lineman right now at right tackle, but he even had his struggles last week against Detroit. Just real quick, Mike, is Zavala going to be, he's okay, right? Like I saw the injury was pretty serious when it happened. Yeah, we didn't see him on the practice field on Wednesday, but every indication we've gotten is that he is okay from a, from a, at least, you know, the yeah. from the worst case scenario, you know? Yeah. I mean, he's listed with a neck injury. He hasn't practiced. We haven't seen him. So it's kind of hard to get like that update, but he was moving all of his extremities uh, he flew home with the team from Detroit. Yeah. Like they, they they were able to avoid like disaster there, yeah. but we don't really have an like an actual update on him. I don't know if it's like getting older, being a parent, or being around the guys so much as I am now. But like seeing those injuries, like every single year, it, it's harder on me to to witness that. And that was just a, a scary scene there. You never want to see that. So glad to hear he's doing better. Let's go ahead and flip over to the defensive side of the football now. My guest today, Mike K from the Charlotte Observer, a Carolina Panthers beat writer. And on the defensive side, my first question is, what happened in the run game department on the defensive side against the Lions? Because I saw the Lions kind of went off in that game and had a big offensive output, but mostly on the ground. What happened to the Panthers' run defense last week? I mean, the same thing that's kind of happened every week. This team is giving up huge yardage on the ground. They, they uh, give up nearly five yards per carry. And while they have the second best red zone, or sorry, third down, defense in the league teams are like avoiding the money down because they're picking up huge chunks of yardage on first and second down on the ground hmm. um of their 21 uh explosive runs runs of 10 yards or more 20 of them have come on either first or second down which really plays into the dolphin strength yeah. as Frank Reich noted uh yesterday when I asked him about it and he said, look, the Dolphins are, are, are had the fewest third down opportunities in the league because they're doing so well on first and second down. And the issue for the Panthers defense, if you watch the Lions game, 
is they're just struggling to tackle and get to their spots. And it is becoming a chronic problem for this team. Something that they're going to have to really fix because, frankly, the Dolphins are very good on the ground. But they also have dates against Jonathan Taylor after the bye, Derrick Henry, those type of players. And it's it's just like they're not able to get the ball back for the offense because the opposing offense is just running over them. It's, I mean, it's, it's funny how much it's the league has become such a passing league, but at the same time, I feel like there's a little bit of a zig where other teams are zagging in terms of success in the running game. The Dolphins have certainly found that good mix and balance of both. And of course, without Devon Achan this week, that'll be a little more difficult, but Raheem Moster is currently rolling Savon Ahmed back and rolling too. And then uh, Chris Brooks and Jeff Wilson just had his 21 day window opened as well. So the Dolphins running back room is pretty deep right now, despite the fact that the, the sensational rookie is going to be down and I wanted to ask you a couple more questions here, Mike, about the Panthers defense and mainly the system, because I know uh, Ijiro Evero's name was a hot candidate for a lot of D.C. jobs across the National Football League. Just kind of wanted to get your bird's eye view of how that system is taking hold and the fingerprints that he's put on this Carolina defense. Well, he likes using shells. He's a he he's a zone coverage kind of guy. Um, and they frankly, they needed to be a zone heavy team with the injuries they've had in the secondary. They're without J.C. Horn, who's on IR, Xavier Woods is probably going to miss this game with a hamstring injury of his own. Um, Dante Jackson's back at practice, but he missed uh, the game against the Lions. C.J. Henderson is wildly inconsistent. Uh, they had a rookie starting last week, Deshaun Jameson, who was undrafted uh, out of Texas and was claimed off waivers following final cuts. Like the second, the cornerback group is not particularly uh solid right now and so you know playing more zone coverage has allowed them to kind of make up for some some lack of talent uh i think von bell after a really rough week one has played extremely well sam franklin who's kind of known as a special teams ace has done kind of a nice job taking over for xavier woods i think for them they've done a really good job of mitigating the big play downfield from a passing standpoint and it's forcing teams to rethink the way they attack this team because if you're only picking up 6.7 yards per pass and you're picking up five yards per run and you don't have to risk your quarterback getting hit plus you know that the Panthers aren't putting up a lot of points what call are you going to make you're going to probably hand the ball off right and so the Panthers are getting run all like the run to pass ratio against the Panthers is the heaviest run versus an opponent in the league. They're they're getting run on 48 point whatever percent of the time, while 51% is going towards the pass because they're seeing this disadvantage. And so you could say some of that factors into the low passing yardage. They're only allowing 185 passing yards per game. But I think they've actually done a really nice job mitigating what's going on on the back end. That makes it really interesting because for this Dolphins team and, you know, fans will tell you last year they wanted to run the ball more and they have ran the ball a little bit more this year, but really it's just about the efficiency and having a game script that allows them to, because as much as I love seeing the Dolphins pile up 350 yards on the ground and like they did a couple weeks ago against Denver, like I also don't want to take the ball out of Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle's hands. So it's an interesting dynamic there in terms of how you attack a defense with this Dolphins weaponry they have on what has been, you know, a historic offense through the first five games. couple of names here real quick, and then I'll ask you the Panthers can win this game if question, Mike, is you mentioned it off the top of that last uh, answer with Von Bell. 
gosh, I've always loved his game so, so much. There's a few guys on this defense who I think are really damn good football players. Just want to get your take so far on how Brian Burns, how Derek Brown, and how Von Bell have performed. And also, my guy, you mentioned this off the top as well, Frankie Louvu, go Kooks. So let's start with Burns. Burns got off to an impressive start against Atlanta. He had two sacks and a forced fumble. Um, he's kind of ebbed and flowed since then. He got a sack in this last game. I think he's played well as an outside linebacker. I think it fits him more. This is more of a hybrid front, and I think it's served Derek Brown very, very well. I think him rushing from that four-eye, five-technique position has really brought out his pass rushing motor. Um, Frankie Louvu has done an incredible job as a blitzer. I think he is so unique in that he is not a natural pass rusher, but he's such a good blitzer from the inside. He's playing inside linebacker. Uh, they're moving him kind of around a little bit, but for the most part, he's attacking from the inside, you know, double a gap sort of stuff. If he can get there, they're trying to be creative with him. And then I think for, from, from the standpoint of Von Bell, I think he's an expert communicator. Um, he's not really a ball hawk, but I think he's like the one guy who's kind of had to take on the role of being a communicator with Shaq Thompson being out. Um, he's made up for some injuries on the back end. Yeah. It's, uh, Shaq Thompson is also a guy that I've always had a, had a bit of a soft spot for. I mean, I'm, I'm Washington state Cougar, but I will give a Husky some pop props and they're a good football player there. Uh, Mike, the Panthers will win this game if, and then you can fill in the blank, however you see fit. If they can stop the run, I mean, like if they can really limit the run, I think they have a shot, but I don't think it's a good shot. And <laughs> it, I, I, I just like this Dolphins team is just a juggernaut. I don't know if the the Panthers can put up enough points to even like come up with like a reasonable expectation for this game because like the, the Dolphins defense isn't poor either. I mean, there's, there's players everywhere on that, on that, on that group. And I think, you know, it's not just the offense. I know the offense gets all the buzz, but I, I just like struggle to see how guys are going to get open regularly. Hayden Hurst has been a disappointment. Miles Sanders has, has struggled with injuries. Jonathan Mingo is still kind of learning. Terrace Marshall didn't even see the field uh, last week as a healthy guy in a Jersey. Um, it's just, it's tough. And Bryce Young is really taking uh, his lumps as a rookie. And I, I, I don't know if this is the team to get off the winless, you know, streak. Yeah. I mean, we've been waiting a long time to hear someone talk about us like that. So it's uh it's just, it's nice to hear Mike, but at the same time, you know, um, Hey, they play the games on Sunday for a reason. So we'll see Panthers and dolphins out there. You're going to be in town, Mike. I'm not. Uh, we just had our kid uh, about a week and a half ago or second son a week and a half ago so i will not be down there which is a bummer because i went to high school in coral springs so oh, no kidding. i didn't know that um and so it, it's a bummer uh my you know my parents are up here and then they're, they're gonna go back to boca so um yeah it's a bummer because everybody's down like a lot of families down there but i'm sure it'll be a great game well, hey, man, congrats on the new uh, the newborn and uh, try to get some sleep when you can and tell the folks where they can find your workout, my friend. Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Mike underscore E underscore K-A-Y-E. It's the worst Twitter Twitter handle in the history <laughs> of the planet, um, but it's mine and I love it. Uh, you can also read my work on the charlotteobserver.com. Uh, also, make sure to check out uh, my partner, Alex Zitlow uh on twitter as well it's a zitlow i believe oh five 
and then Scott Fowler, our columnist, who's phenomenal. So uh, Scott will be down there. He'll be covering the game from the Panthers' perspective, so make sure you give him a follow. Hey, you could have been real creative like me and gone last name NFL, so good on you for sure. not doing that uh, seven years ago and being stuck with it forever. So, Mike, appreciate your time today, man. Like I said, get some rest, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks. And away he goes. Really fun interview there, getting to know the Carolina Panthers a little bit more in depth. And uh, yeah, again, so the audio yesterday, I'm not feeling so great today. So it's kind of a rough week for your boy. Hopefully the podcast still comes across in a good way. I have some fun stuff coming up as well. We're going to have Daniel Oyafusi in the podcast tomorrow. I have some really fun locker room audio. I had a good chat with Deshaun Elliott. That'll be out on tomorrow's podcast as well. So we're soldiering on game on Sunday. I should be better by then. But in the meantime, let's go ahead and take our first break right here. Come back on the other side and hear from the assistant coaches. That's next. Drive Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Thursday, we heard from Dolphins assistant coaches. I'm going to play you a few sound bites from Frank Smith, Vic Fangio, and John Embry. And we start here with Dolphins OC Frank Smith, who I essentially don't really have anything for you guys regarding the upcoming game on Sunday. But we got like an education from this coach with regards to teaching principles, the impact of motion and shifting and intent of offense and creating reactions. So I'm just going to go down the list here and play a few of these sound bites for you because on this podcast, my overall goal is to make you a smarter Dolphins fan and a smarter football fan. And Coach Smith is one of the best in the business at doing that and communicating that. So I'm going to go ahead and let him talk here. First, I wanted to run this audio from a question that was posed to him about the timing element of all of the action on some of those reverses where you get pre-snap motion, a running back, or rather a wide receiver going to the backfield and then motioning out and faking a handoff inside and flipping the ball back around the other side. How do you fine-tune and cue up all those things to be a sweet symphony? Here's Coach. Teach the defense so that we understand reactions, um, what we anticipate. Uh, Show it to them and show it to them on paper. Show the clip of the reaction you think you're going to get. Walk through it one time, run it in practice, and then go and do a game and then follow your rules and adjust if it's not what we thought it was going to be. So, I mean, it's kind of, again, process-driven. So you have that concept that we've run out of uh, different variants, and then now you put it in that grouping. And, you know, if they understand the defense and they understand the play's intent, they can handle the variation. And was it a variation that we didn't expect? So... How do we move and how do we operate? I mean, that's kind of, uh, it starts with back in spring when we teach uh, how do we move and snap points, uh, who's moving when, why. I mean, if you were to put that play in by itself in the season, I think it would be a lot harder as opposed to that's part of our process of our whole system of why we move to move. It's because we're moving for reactions of defense and what we anticipate. Let's go ahead and follow up there with Coach and the teaching process of knowing how to impact the defense and how you install an offense that has that level of, I suppose, intricacy to it. Let's go back to Coach once more. It starts really, if you don't know your job, you can't really look past and learn. You have to get to a point at which I know what I'm doing. Okay, now I know what I'm doing, my intent. Now I can see what my defender's trying to do. It's always hard, and the hardest time is when you're coming together in year one, and you're trying to learn your system, and you're trying to learn uh, what I'm trying to do, the intent and purpose of this play, and the, the technique you're asking me to do, the evolution, and that's where it's 
constant teaching because when you can start to understand the defense and what they're trying to accomplish, where they're vulnerable, that's where now the player can play with uh, reaction because he's now he's not thinking about it. He's reacting to what he's seeing because his anticipation level is heightened because I know what I'm trying to do. Now my vision is uh, focused on these maybe two or three variables that I'm expecting. And, and that, I think, ultimately is what you're allowed to do, especially in this second year of the system, is now guys have a greater understanding of what we're doing, and they're really diving into the intent of the defense and how they fit in, uh, you know, in a, uh, the concept to attack, whether it's run or pass. And we finish up here with a question I had for Coach about a potential correlation between being aggressive offensively and turning the football over. Is there a correlation? And if there is, how do you calibrate those two things together? I don't know if it's really uh, they they follow with each other. I think it's more of just why do things occur? And it's easy to say, you know, my knee hurts. Okay, why? Okay, we'll throw some ice on it, and then maybe you'll feel better. Okay, well, my knee hurts still. Okay, well, maybe you need to look at it some more, and then you see, okay, well, you need surgery to fix it. So ultimately, when you're looking at things, you got to look at why and not just kind of gloss over things because it's easy to look at something and go, hey, it's this. Well, what was the root of it? I mean, was it ultimately when you have a turnover, was it poor fundamentals? Was it a, a game plan specific play to the week that maybe that our understanding wasn't as good? Um, was it playing outside of the progression? What, there's many variables to go into, and that's ultimately what we're looking at is making sure how do we ensure turnovers are uh, minimizing turnovers. And it all starts with fundamentals and intent, and that's always what we go back to. And it always seems so simple because, you know, I know around here you guys hear us talk a lot about our process and our fundamentals and technique, but, I mean, ultimately that is offensive football. It's our execution of these simple things collectively to make – something come to life because if 10 are doing the right thing and one's not uh one player I should say then it's that's where you can get off so ultimately that's where like you know as a quarterback's playing he's counting on everyone guys blocking guys running routes timing distribution so um you know i don't think it's ever something as hey we're aggressive so this happens it's more of okay why did that happen here and then you get to the bottom of it together Moving on to Dolphins tight ends coach John Embry, and I feel like this should be music to every single person on this podcast's ears, unless you are a rival listening in, in which case, welcome Buffalo, New York, and New England. But Coach Embry talked about Chase Claypool and working with him as a tight end, which again, what are we doing? (laughs) The guy's a receiver, but either way. The conversation shifts towards positionless football, and there was a really cool development across this press conference about how the Dolphins have this approach that maybe isn't that common in the National Football League where different coaches coach different players regardless of what room they exist in. Let's go to Coach Embry for that. You know, it's, it's really uh, unique what, we, what uh, Mike's been able to get done in the last couple of years. Um, as you notice, as, as he continues to build this, we're going to have a lot of players that really are positionless. Um, when you think at... Uh, um, whether Chase is with me or doing stuff, whether Alec, you know, I do stuff with him. Uh, some of my guys will do stuff with uh, Eric uh, Studisville. Um, Wes will work with my guys on certain things. So it's, uh, it's a really unique thing that we have going here. A lot of selfless players and coaches don't care who's coaching who. We're just trying to get our guys to uh, go out and execute plays. 
And I think that's what makes our offense so dangerous is that Tyreek Hill could be pin blocking, then he's 50 yards down the field on a route. Same with uh, our running backs. Sometimes they're blocking, sometimes they're running it. You know, it's just all over the place with it. So that gives us a lot of uh, flexibility within our offense. So I'm sure at some point, Clay, uh, um, Chase, and I will be uh, doing something together. Uh, I haven't even met him yet. I mean, I've seen him on the field, but haven't really introduced myself to him yet. But uh, so I'm just excited because that's just another chess piece for uh, McDaniel to use and uh, give us an advantage. Let's go ahead and just play one more of these here because Coach was great and I could play 10 of these sound bites, but that's not a very fun podcast, I don't think. Let's go ahead and play one more follow-up on how they execute that and what that might look like in training camp, practice, during the season, all of the above. No, it it hasn't always been like that, but I think what it is is is, um, when you find guys that love football, you know, and just don't care and just want to be in the field and do whatever it is that they can to be able to be a part of something special. That's what we've been able to do in these last couple drafts and free agency is bringing guys in. They just love football. They don't care if they get 50 targets or one or if I get to carry the ball 15 times. And this guy, they, you never see anybody like, well, how come I'm not? You know, when you see uh, uh, Devon when he scored, one of the first guys to grab him is Raheem Mostert, right? I mean, yet they're supposed to be competing against each other. It's, uh, it really has, uh, you know, like, again, talking about Coach McDaniel, really has done a good job of getting people in here that are about just one thing. Let's just go win. Let's have fun while we do it. Uh, I think as you see college football continue to evolve, and you're starting to see that, like, with, with uh, uh, Coach Prime's doing it in Colorado with, like, Travis Hunter playing both ways. There's a lot of kids that – I shouldn't say a lot. There's a good amount of kids that would probably love to play the whole game, Right. And so when you get your hands on someone like that, you want to let them, you know, use their skill set as much as they can. And for us, it's not a both sides of the ball thing, but it's playing multiple positions on the offense and and having fun doing it. All right. So there you go. Uh, Let's go ahead and take our last break right there and come back on the other side and pick the week six games. That's next Drive Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Third and final segment here on a Thursday edition of the Drive Time Podcast. Big thanks again to Mike Kay and, of course, all the Dolphins assistant coaches we speak to every single Thursday here uh, during the regular season. Let's do the week six picks, week five. Should I play some sad music here? Seven and seven. The wheels fell off. What the hell happened out there? We are 54 and 24. That drops us down to 69.2%. Why do I say we when it's only me? I don't know. But the goal was 72%. Let's try to get back to that this week with another slate of games that, quite frankly, I think are harder than last week's games were, but we're going to do it anyway. We start tonight, Thursday night football. Go ahead and cue the music. Chiefs over the Broncos. That one feels pretty obvious. And the Ravens over the Titans from the UK. Another 930 kickoff here in the East. 630 for you folks out West. Rest up if you're going to watch that game. Uh, on a Sunday morning, but give me the Ravens in that one. I was a little bit conflicted there. I could see both those offenses struggling in that game because of the long trip over, and they've just been kind of stuck in the mud for the last couple of weeks, both those teams. But give me the Ravens with Lamar Jackson to make the last play at the end to get that big victory. Dolphins over Panthers. I'll take the Commanders over the Falcons. Do I feel good about it? Nope. Sure don't, but I'm taking it. Give me the Bears 
over the Vikings. Do I feel good about that one? The Justin Jefferson injury swayed me and pushed me over the edge. And I think, I think the Bears might have found something in terms of how to call a game for Justin Fields. That was encouraging to get him his first big statistical day of the season. I'm still a big believer in what he can accomplish and what he can do. So give me Chicago to get their second straight win after going essentially 12 months without a victory. Seattle over Cincy. Again, do I feel good about this one? Is it the Bengals we saw in the first four weeks of the season? Or do you get the Bengals who beat a pretty punchless Cardinals team? Like, I see people saying they're back because of that win, but are they really? Plus, Seahawks coming east for a 10 a.m. body clock time. I don't love that, but what I do love is Geno Smith and that offense that has been rolling against a Bengals defense that, besides that Rams game, has been kind of struggling. And then defensively, I just kind of like what the Seahawks do from a scheme standpoint, from an execution standpoint. And I don't believe that Joe Burrow and the Bengals offense is all the way back. I think it was a product of playing the Cardinals. So give me the Seahawks in that one. Niners over the Browns. Gosh, they are the best team in football, aren't they? I keep saying the Dolphins, but... Dolphins, Niners, Super Bowl, maybe? Could be. Colts over the Jags. Gardner Minshew, baby. I just, I'm just i going to go ahead and take the Jags having some jet lag. Jet lag Jags coming back from London after two weeks. Give me the Saints over the Texans. The Texans have been the team that I've gotten wrong the most this year. Like, what's going on there? I love C.J. Stroud, but last week they kind of had a letdown. I'm going to go against them this week after going against the Saints as well in that Patriots game. Yikes. Speaking of the Patriots, we're going to take them on the road over Las Vegas because, one, I don't like anything about the Raiders team right now and the decision making late in games to kick field goals from 55 yards when you're up by four makes no sense and they've done that a couple times now so give me the Patriots to bounce back and Belichick to get one over his old pupil give me the Rams over the Cardinals I'll take the Eagles over the Jets duh I'll take the Lions over the Bucks even though they're in Tampa Tampa's off a bye week I just think Detroit's a pretty damn good football team right now they keep it rolling get to five and one what a world Lions and Dolphins could be five and one at the end of this week Bills over Giants. Why the hell is that Sunday Night Football? And the Cowboys over the Chargers. Is he going to do it? Yeah, I'm going to do it. I don't like it. I don't trust it, but I'm taking the Cowboys over the LA Chargers because I think it's going to come down to a late game situation, and the Chargers always seem to get wonky in those spots, so just go ahead and pick the Cowboys. Will we go 7-7 again? Maybe. Hopefully not, but that's kind of what we're looking at last week, and I'm hoping to bounce back this week, just like your Miami Dolphins bounce back against the Giants a week ago. So there you go. Those are the week six picks. That's the Thursday edition of the Draft Time Podcast. Again, apologies for the audio on the Wednesday show. It won't happen again. In the meantime, it's going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from. Go ahead and leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at WingfieldNFL and the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank Podcast with Seth and Juice. Check out the YouTube channel for media availabilities, Dolphins Today, and so much more. And last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up, Carolina Cameron, Daddy. Let's go.